Let's look this morning at another thought from the life of Moses. And I, it's one that I think is of a, a particular interest to us as we progress, you know, in, in the times and, you know, the difficulties we see arising in the earth, or maybe as we experience difficulties in, in life and in our spiritual journey. Because something we notice about Moses and his life, his story, and his experiences is that when God asks him, asks him to do something new, you know, he realizes that he doesn't have what it takes. And so he goes into the presence of God and he obtains what he needs to do that. And we see that, you know, several times in his, in his experiences. You know, we've already looked at the beginning of his story where he kind of learned this lesson because he didn't do it that one time, right? When he, he knew, you know, in the beginning, he knew he had a calling to deliver the, you know, the people of Israel. And he was, he must've had an excitement to get into that calling and, you know, an anticipation to, for that. And he thought Israel would see that and embrace it. So where everyone could get free and, uh, of course, but he tried to deliver his fellow Israelites and he ended up uh, killing an Egyptian. But when he comes to the burning bush, we saw that difference, didn't we? Because he, he basically declares to the Lord, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I, I don't have the words. I don't have the wisdom, the ability. In fact, he, he took it a little too far. <laughs> God had to say, look, I'm going to give it to you. Trust in me. But, you know, really, that's, that's what the Lord does. Right? Is shows him a new way to rely upon God. You know, to find, so that, so that Moses learns to find his strength in the presence of God. And, you know, really, that's our example. That's our role model. And so God says to Moses, in effect, you know, don't worry. You can do the things I'm calling you to do. You can walk in that way. You can obey and so forth because I am going to be with you. Before, he was doing things in his own strength. But now God's saying, but I'm going to be with you. And not just that. He says, tell them I'm, that you're coming in my name which is the I am. And that's, that's the all-encompassing name of, of God, the I am, and then fill in the blank. He is our all in all. And so Moses received courage to go and speak and to go forth as the, as the deliverer now that he had finally learned to receive strength from God in his presence. And, you know, we see this later on in the wilderness journey. Time after time, Moses encounters a problem, but he learns there's only one place to find the answer. You know, that was either to go up the mountain and meet with God or to go into the tabernacle and hear from God. You know, David wasn't the first one to inquire in God's presence in the tabernacle. It was really Moses. You know, and in fact, we kind of see that in Exodus, Exodus 25, in verse 21, it says, here's God commanding Moses concerning the tabernacle and the, and the most holy place. 
It says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you'll put the testimony that I'll give to you, and there will I meet with you, and I'll speak with you from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That's Exodus 25:21. And so it was actually the commandment of the Lord, come in and I'll speak to you from the mercy seat. But also we have Numbers 7. It talks about this as well and kind of describes it. Numbers 7, 89. It says, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. And so, you know, Moses, he was one who received strength. He received wisdom, ability, direction from the presence of God, that his voice spoke from the mercy seat. You know, and actually the Israelites, they all recognized the necessity for Moses to go in and receive for them on their behalf. They anticipated that. You know, it, it, it talks about that. We won't turn there, but uh, Exodus 33, all the Israelites stood in the door of their tents when Moses was going into the, the tabernacle. And, and so you can kind of imagine when there's a national need, they're like, Moses, go into, the, go into that tent <laughs> Receive from the Lord. We're, we're standing here at our doors. We're waiting for that. You know, maybe they need a direction or provision or water or food or maybe an enemy was near or they, you know, they needed direction from the Lord. That's where the answer was, came from. It was the presence of God. And that's the model that we're presented with. In fact, I, I would propose that Moses is not a type of an Old Testament person. Right? Because the Old Testament person who went into the, the Holy of Holies was Aaron. And he, of course, he was the high priest and he and his successors. They were the only ones allowed to enter in once a year and not without blood. Right? And that was the blood of the, of the, of the goat that was given as, as an offering to sanctify. And then there was the other goat that was sent off as the scapegoat. And so Christ fulfilled that sacrifice of atonement. You know, so, but that was Aaron. But Moses is really, he's a type of a New Testament priest because he's just going in and out of the presence of God, like David, coming in before the ark, inquiring in his temple. You know, Moses is one that didn't live by principle or by the opinion or wisdom of man, but he lived in the holy presence of God. And that's what makes the greatest difference. You know, the anointing and the presence of God can make up for any lack of ability on our part or any lack of, you know, that we perceive anyway. Now, it's not that we, we don't have to even do anything and it's all about the presence of God. I'm not saying that. We still have to study. We still have to, to pray and spend time and be diligent and the things God gives us to do. In fact, if we're not faithful, I think that's going to affect how much of the presence of God we experience. But yet, it's His presence that empowers us, enables us, directs us, and guides us. And that's, 
That's why we want to cultivate that connection with heaven above all things. You know, we, we as human beings, we, sometimes we prioritize certain things above others because we enjoy them or we like them or we want them. But when it comes to the Christian life, to ministry, to anything, there's only one thing that we have to prioritize the highest, and that's the presence of God and our connection with heaven. In fact, it's that connection that, that Moses developed that ended up being a factor that preserved him in, in many situations, right? Giving him answers. But, but even when people were opposing him, it was that exact, that actual connection with heaven that, that protected him. And I, I was just thinking of the, he was challenged many times, but, you know, when those were opposing his leadership, he didn't defend himself. Instead, he just relied on that connection with heaven, you know, specifically when Miriam, his, his sister and brother, by the way, opposed him, you know, that his own family was challenging him. It's not recorded that Moses gave any response. Now, I don't know if he did. He might have he said something, but it's not recorded in Scripture. But he didn't defend himself. You know, he didn't say, don't touch the Lord's anointed. And, you know, some such things that you might hear today. As a, as a form of defense, I should say. In fact, the only thing it says about Moses, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That was his defense. You know, but it turns out, what was his defense? Well, God himself came down and defended him because God descended and he, he inhabited the pillar of smoke and he started speaking out of that pillar to Miriam and Aaron, and that must have been an awesome thing. That, you know, there they are challenging Moses. Yeah, you're taking on too much authority and so forth. And all of a sudden they hear the voice of God out of that pillar of smoke. That must have made them shake in their boots, so to speak. And God responded. And he basically he said, you know, I can speak to my people through prophets, through dreams and visions, through indirect methods promptings and you know there's more things we could say you know little things he can drop into our heart but this is what he says of Moses numbers 12 7 it says but not so with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my house and I speak with him face to face even plainly not in dark sayings he sees the form of the Lord why were you then not afraid to speak against my servant Moses See, it was all about his relationship and his connection to heaven. You know, sometimes we can see people on the outward, but the inward. That's why it is so important. You know, Moses' relationship was not one of ceremony or imitation, right? He didn't look around in the earth and say, well, who's successful? I, let me imitate them. Or let me, let me have a component. Maybe I'll do that. You know, it was, it was not through someone else or not it was not following another pattern it was a it was a relationship ba based on communion with God now there's seasons where God can speak to us in an indirect way and you know sometimes the Lord can speak to us and it kind of seems a little cryptic right 
you know, where he's just kind of giving little indications and we're learning to hear his voice. But, you know, as we progress, there comes a time of illumination where God begins to quicken by his spirit. You know, it's like progressing on into in the tabernacle, you come into the holy place. And, and the, what illuminates the holy place is the spirit of God, the candlestick represented by his seven spirits. And God begins to illuminate by his spirit through wisdom and understanding, you know, discernment and so forth. You know, even the disciples experienced this. It seemed like a lot of the things the Lord was saying was, I don't know if it was going over their heads. I think there was kind of seeds being deposited, but they didn't understand. Right? They, they couldn't comprehend. But there came a point of illumination for them. Right? Because, you know, in John 16, the Lord Jesus is, is kind of sharing with his disciples and you know, saying, I'm going to my father so he can send the comforter unto you. And, you know, that you're going to be able to ask anything in my name and, and I'm going to intercede for you and so forth. And, and all of a sudden, something was illuminated in the hearts of the disciples. And in John 16, 29, it says they responded and said, Lo, it's like now you're speaking plainly. You're not speaking in a proverb. I can see I can understand what you're saying. You know, it, it became a relationship where they, they could see, not through natural eyes, but through the eyes of the Spirit. And, you know, that's, that's the pattern that God has for us. One of our eyes being enlightened to see what is the hope of our calling. You know, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, and so it was that that communion relationship that Moses had with God, that that really meant everything. You know, and even though he had received the, the promises and, you know, he's given the privilege of leading Israel and experiencing the, the power of God, the miracles, there was really only one thing that mattered to him. And that was walking in, in the presence of God. And, and he makes it very clear you know, we, at least as we're reading of his account, we clearly understand that's what mattered because, you know, he, he made this proclamation to the Lord, Exodus 33, 15. You know, God's talking about the promises and where he's going to go and all that stuff. And he but, said, but Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't, don't lead us there. I don't even want to, to go to the promised land. I don't even want to come to those promises. If, if your presence isn't with us, then we're, we're totally missing it. You know, we can have opportunities in life for success and increase and so forth, but our cry must be, Lord, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the promises. I'm, I'm grateful, but if, you're, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. I don't want that. I don't want to enter into that because it's your presence that, that matters most. And it's his presence that keeps us. And so that, that's why Moses is a role model for the church, especially in the last days, right? As we, we know, and we can anticipate difficult times ahead, persecution and so forth. But we have to be those with a heart tuned into one thing, which is Christ, Christ himself. You know, that's the pattern that God wants us to come into. In fact, I, I almost think, 
there's going to come a point when we're forced to go into it. We're not really going to have a choice. If we want to, to be the hidden ones in Christ and be preserved, you know, yet we don't want to just say, well, okay, great. <laughs> I'll be, one day I'll be forced to do it. But yet today, if we'll hear his voice, we can enter in within the veil and have that illuminated relationship with him that and it only progresses and increases. And, you know, I realize there's certain seasons that we go through where God, sometimes it's like he turns off the illumination and we're just walking by faith, not by sight. And we, there's not much illuminated. All we see is that one step and then the next step. But yet we trust that God is in that and in that he's speaking and, and it's in those dark experiences we, we're getting treasure as Isaiah says, the treasure of darkness. But yet, the pattern that God has for us is a, is a relation, a communion relationship of illumination. And, you know, in one sense, God's presence, that's, it's almost our compensation that he wants to give to his people because, you know, there is a debit or a lack that we experience as disciples of Christ, right? There's certain things we have to give up. We can't walk in certain ways, right? Because our calling is the straight and the narrow pathway, the confined pathway. A lot of things don't fit down that pathway. And we try to, we try to force it to fit. And, you know, we're kind of like, oh man, doesn't this fit in this pathway? And finally we realize, well, if I'm gonna go on, then that has to stay there because it's stuck. It's not, it's not gonna move. The only way to, to, to keep possessing that is walk next to the pathway, but we know that doesn't work. Eventually, it leads off. And so there's certain things we have to separate ourselves from, things we can't partake of to live a life of holiness. You know, even in the church, you know, if there's not a recognition and a value for holiness, well, then the standards can become slack, right? But what does it matter if we allow this or that or, you know, we, we don't see anything. We don't notice anything with our eyes, right? There, there might not be a negative consequence in the short term, but they can miss out on the one true compensation, which is the presence of God, right? Israel, and we've referred to that many times, Israel got what they wanted, but they got leanness, in their soul. Really, they were lacking the presence of God that Moses was experiencing. And that's what God offered to them originally, a whole, a whole nation of priests that could enter into his presence. But then they, they said, well, Moses, that's kind of a hard message. Moses, you do it for us. You just tell us what we need to do. And a lot of times they just didn't even follow that. You know, there's a compensation that God would have for us. You know, we can see that with the Levites, right? They weren't given an inheritance in Israel. The rest of the tribes, they got to cultivate fields and vineyards and, and, and so forth that they could pass on to their children. But the Levites, they didn't have that. They were given cities and they, they had houses to dwell in. But that wasn't much, you know, you can't. You can grow a little garden in the back of your house, but you can't bring in great crops and so forth. Instead, the Lord said, 
their inheritance was himself. That's Deuteronomy chapter 10. And so that's, that's the pattern that Moses sets for us. One we can experience and enter into, and it will only increase in the days to come. But we recognize with that that this is something that has to become the principal thing in our lives. That's the only way it works. King David expressed it this way in, in the familiar cry that he proclaimed, Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after. That's really what he's talking about because he discovered the principle and the, and the, and the example that Moses was experiencing. He experienced that himself. And so here he is proclaiming that in the Psalms. There's one thing I want. I've entered into it. And I'm going I'm to pursue that all my days to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. And so David's saying, there's only one thing that matters in life. There's only one thing I want. That's to dwell with God in his presence. And you know, he had been brought to that realization, that singular focus of what really matters in life. Now he came to this place through lots of trouble, right? Through many times of you know, being in danger of his life, but that kind of pressed him to pursue God and to, and to meet with him in that place under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there's nothing like trouble that really causes us to, to cry out to God in difficulty. You know, when things are going well, we can kind of have a broad focus. Um, you know, lots of different things can interest us. But when, when we're experiencing difficulty and we're being overwhelmed and there's problems we can't solve, there's only one solution. It's looking to the one that's higher than us. And, you know, the cry of Moses was in Exodus 33, 18, he's, he said, Oh, Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory. I'm desperate for your glory, for your presence. And he was crying out to see and experience more of the one he was following. Both because he desired him, right? He desired to know him, but he also realized he wasn't going to make it unless he knew God and was able to receive from him and walk in that way. And, and it's really, you know, it's really about coming to a position in our relationship with Christ through setting him and his presence as our one thing. And that position cannot be taken away. A lot of things can be taken away, you know, in life, you know, literally. But this, when Christ, we come to that position of Christ as our one thing, that can never be taken away by anyone. You know, we can relate that to the story of Martha and Mary. You know, even as believers, we can view things differently. Right? Martha loved the Lord. You know, she loved serving him and being in his presence. But she, we realized she had different priorities and different things she was focusing on, different values. Right? And, and even as believers, we can have different values of, of success and, and fruitfulness and so forth of what satisfies. You know, Martha thought the important thing was to be active, to be, uh, you know, in service, which is true. That's very true. We have to be in service of the king. But she was missing the one true purpose of serving Christ, 
which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Here was the living Christ in their midst. And Mary chose to sit at his feet because she was not going to miss the opportunity to receive from Christ, to sit at his feet, not for anything. And so, of course, Mary, Martha was protesting, you know, indicating that her place was maybe in the kitchen and helping out and, and so forth, which at other times that would be true. But this was the time to receive. And so in Luke 10, verse 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you're careful. You're troubled in the sense or you're burdened with other things. Verse 42, but one thing is needful and Mary has chosen that good part and it shall not be taken away from her. Mary recognized that one needful thing and she attained a position in Christ, which was at his feet. But it was beholding him, receiving from him, and that portion would not be taken from her. You know, even with promises for better things, I mean, we're all desperate for revival. We're desperate to see God move, the power of God, healing. But, you know, that's not the end all. That's not even the beginning of the end all. Because the, we, can, we can still be empty in our communion relationship and experience miracles and power. You know, a revival in one sense, uh, revival is going to be hard work, right? It's going to be it's going to be a challenging time. It's not going to be an easy time, and it's but it will also be an opportunity to be propelled into a position of beholding Christ and experiencing Him as we never have before. You know, but the the increase and the blessing of revival that can't be our focus, right? In fact, it'll take us off if that becomes our focus in revival. Ooh, the power. Ooh, the, the great number of people responding to Christ. You know, Pastor Bailey shared how he, he met a lot of successful people in his ministry. Um, you know, some who had big churches and ministries and successful ministries. But he said the ones who impressed him the most uh, – were those who communicated something of the following. You know, there were some who said, you know, I, I have a big ministry and I have success on all sides, but that's not what satisfies me. In fact, they said, I'd give it all up in a second if it meant knowing Christ more. And that's really having that one thing in that proper place. That's what Paul meant, Philippians 3.8. He said, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as dung that I may win Christ. And so Paul, he wasn't grasping for glory, even though he experienced great things and a good, you know, a mighty ministry being used. His real motivation was to win and obtain a relationship with Christ a position of knowing him, of hearing him, being led by him. That was the real, that's his real prize because it would be his for all eternity. You know, and we can, we can learn from this in seeing Moses 
and the pattern that he sets for us and David and the Apostle Paul and many others of, of those role models. But it's, it's really the need for the single eye. You know, as we can read in the uh, Song of Solomon, you know, the Shulamite, and here's the, the bridegroom speaking to the, to the Shulamite, Song of Solomon 115, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair, you have dove's eyes. You know, and so this is a picture of Jesus speaking to his, his bridegroom or his church. And really, what, who, when you're saying the church, sometimes that's a very general term. But well, who is he talking to? Those who have made him their one thing. One thing have I desired. Lord, if, you, if, you're not, if I don't have your presence, don't send me. I want your presence. I want life from you. And, you know, that's, that's that thought of dove's eyes, right? And it's, it's really that thought that doves have, they have a keen vision, but they also have that, that idea of one mate for life. The idea is they focus on one thing and they're joined to that for all eternity, well, for their life. But speaking to us of being joined to the Lord for all eternity. And that's the work that God desires to do in our lives to change our vision or really to focus it so that wherever we are in life, you know, we might be going through different seasons, but all the while it's just having eyes for Jesus. Someone once described Dove's eyes as having undistracted devotion. You know, kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they just walked with God in that garden and had a wonderful communion until they got distracted by, by the serpent. Uh, and he started planting seeds and thoughts like, you, you know, you, you'll be okay if you, if you eat this apple or apple fruit. It doesn't say apple in the Bible. You know, if you eat this fruit, you know, you, you don't. And that's kind of the thing. You don't need to be totally focused on God to live a good life. You know, you're. You can, you can live a good life now and so forth. And mankind has been distracted ever since. But God's purpose is to bring us back to that state of communion where we know his voice in the garden, where we come to, to know his heart, to follow him. Now, I recognize this thought of, of Moses. It's, it's an awesome story. And it's an, an awesome position to think of but it's the pattern. It's the pattern he's calling us to walk in, you know, to walk in those same footsteps. And, you know, maybe Sarah could come and, and just have a response where we can cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, give me those dove's eyes so that that one thing would consume my life and that that would kind of stay with us throughout our whole pathway. Amen? That's what God's calling us to. Whatever season we're in, that it would be one thing. Amen. Lord, you see the response in the hearts of your people. Lord, we're just looking to you. Oh, Lord, that we could walk in that same pattern Lord, as those we see in Scripture, as Moses, or as David, as, as Paul, oh God, Lord, they sought you. Lord, you were their one thing. 
Lord, they had dove's eyes. And Lord, we're crying out to you that you would do that work within us. Lord, that work of removal, that work of addition. Lord, take away what needs to be taken away. Add to us. Lord, add to our faith those things that need to be added. Lord, that we could have that ability to come into your presence. Oh, to sit at your feet as Mary, to receive of you, oh God, those things that will not be taken away from us. Oh, do that work within us, we pray. We just cry out to you. Oh, Lord, give us dove's eyes, Lord, to, to set our eyes upon you and what matters. Oh, that that would be our inheritance, Lord, and that you would be our inheritance for all eternity. Oh, Lord, dwelling in your presence. Lord, because we've walked with you in your presence all of our days. Do that work, we pray. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the example. Lord, help us to walk in it, we pray. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>